what different actions could we take going forward? So whether it was a, an implementation to our benefits plan or whether it was rolling out a new piece to our onboarding process, let's do an analysis at the end. Is there anything that could have made this better? Just one little thing that we could tweak so that we can learn from this. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. A good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Eubanks, host of We're Only Human, and I am really glad to have you here today. Today I have a chance to talk to Angie Redmond. We're going to talk about culture, we're going to talk about what it takes to be a great place to work, and the journey that it takes to get you there. I'm so excited about this discussion. We've been chatting behind the scenes for a while, and finally just just said, let's make this happen. Let's make make this recording happen so we can share this out with the world. So Angie, I'm so glad to have you here. Welcome. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Absolutely. So before we get into some of the, the goodness, we're going to go deep on the, the HR side of things today. I'm excited about that. Before we do, can you take it just a minute and tell us about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. I am the president of an organization called Strive HR, where I work with companies who aspire to be an award-winning workplace. So you may have heard of things like best places to work or top workplaces. I guide companies through the strategy and execution and walk alongside with them on that journey to get that distinction. Wonderful. And one thing that I did, I found out about you a few minutes before we started today is that you are a copious note taker, just like me, which yes. warms my heart. I, <laughs> where'd that come from? Did you, have you always I, been that way or? I, I always found that I learned better and retained information better if I wrote it down. So hence, there's a lot of notebooks on my desk and I usually <laughs> do keep them and refer back to things often, but that, that's just the way my brain is wired. So that's why I take a lot of notes. That's fine. Like, and you actually do it with notebooks, it sounds like, with actual notes there. Because I, goodness, if I could show you, if you peer deeply into your radio listeners out there, your podcast player, you can see this awful handwriting on the note, post-it note that I have in my hand. You could not read this. I can't read this. Then thank goodness for digital note-taking. Otherwise, nothing, nothing might be remembered around here. So that's fun. That is so fun. So let's talk about why in the world would you... What road led you, I guess, what, that's a better question. What road led you to doing what you're doing now, Angie? Helping companies to become award-winning, to solve that kind of problem? Because I've worked for companies in the past as an HR leader, and I can tell you, it feels pretty, pretty nice to get those awards. So I understand that appeal, but I'm curious, why in the world did you end up doing that? Well, I, I was stuck, and I've heard this term often lately in what you call the sandwich generation, where... I was working full-time, taking care of my kids. I had a husband who traveled a lot, worked a job that spent a lot of hours there, probably more hours there than I did with my family. And at the same time, I was also taking care of a terminally ill parent. And I just found myself being stretched so, so thin. And and I really took some time to refocus on, okay, if I'm going to spend all these hours here, what out of this job 
really excites me and what gets me fired up when I'm coming to work every day. And the part of my job that I loved the most was my focus on anything related to culture, anything related to employee engagement. And those all tied into helping the company that I had worked for at that time earn a best places distinction. So I decided I really wanted to take that knowledge, that experience, the ideas and go out and help other companies have that same opportunity. So launched my business and that's what I've been focused on ever since in addition to mentoring HR professionals. Wonderful. So there's, there's a part of this and we, I'd love for you to break it down as we're going through the discussion today. There's a part of this that comes down to the processes that we focus on from an HR perspective, right? Ask any good HR leader who's been in the space for more than five minutes and they can talk about their process, their programs, their initiatives, things like that. And I'm curious, one of the, one of the issues I'd say is that we sometimes think that the answer to solving some of the problems that you talk about solving the culture, the engagement, we think the, the answer to that is a process instead of focusing on the people. And I'm curious why you think that is, what's our blind spot there? My background started in manufacturing. And so I was just knee deep into processes, learning about Kaizen and learning about continuous improvement and helping the companies that, that I worked with achieve ISO and QS certification. So it was extremely process driven as we looked at process improvement and continuous improvement. And yes, there is a distinction between the process piece that you're talking about. But I will tell you that I learned a lot through that. And and, and what I'll say is I learned that in anything that I'm doing HR related, there's always a way to learn and a ways to make it better. And so that, that does tie back into that process. So yes, it is somewhat process driven because you take a look at how things happen. Why do they happen that way? Do you want them to happen that way again in the future? If not, what changes do you need to make in order to have a different outcome? So there is a little bit of process to that, but the people aspect of it is what gives it a bit of a distinction between when you have defined processes and you have these specific guardrails that you have to guide whatever your decision-making is in between and within those requirements. And when you're dealing with people, it's not always that cut and dry. So you do need to learn from those processes, but you need to apply them going forward as a learning opportunity. So you have this really intriguing background as with process as part of your pedigree, for lack of a better word, right? In your journey from a career perspective, you learned about Kaizen, some of the other kinds of things, about process development. And I would make the argument that even though I, I, I just said we focus on process, we focus on, on these things, there are our safety blanket in HR. We don't have that deep knowledge and expertise of process improvement process redesign, how to identify bottlenecks, things like that that you learn through some of those continuous improvement activities. What, do you have a piece of advice or a, a, a tidbit that you've, that you picked up in that time about how processes are designed that you're like, oh, if HR leaders knew this, it would make the work that we do easier. It would help them to, to solve some problems. They thought about processes in this kind of way because someone in project management, someone in, in that process space, they think about those a certain way, but HR, we, we don't know that because it's just not what we're exposed to. Any, anything there that you could share? I'm just curious. I've never had that, that training myself. And I'm thinking like, there's a chance to learn from someone who's been through that kind of uh, crucible and might have some things to share. Absolutely. The one thing that I always, the one thing I specifically learned to always do is to do a post review. 
So that ties back to what I was just mentioning, what different things could we take, what different actions could we take going forward? So whether it was a, an implementation to our benefits plan or whether it was rolling out a new piece to our onboarding process, my background has always taken me back to, let's do an analysis at the end. Is there anything that could have made this better? Just one little thing that we could tweak that could make it even better next time so that we can learn from this. So uh, it might've taken more time, but I do definitely think it was worth the effort. Teams that I've worked with in, the, with in the past have done this and have shared with me that they found it to be beneficial as well so that we can always take a step back. What did we learn? What do we wanna do different next time? And sometimes there, there isn't a necessity to change things going forward, but you need to at least do the ask to see if we do need to make any process improvements. That is so funny. I haven't thought about this in a long time, but when I worked for a, a government contractor years ago, a lot of our people were former military because we served the, the armed forces and some of the work we did. And they used to do these things after projects called AARs, after action reviews, that were just what you're saying here, where mm -hmm. they would go through and say, hey, you know what? Our budget was actually a little bit short because we didn't see this risk or we didn't expect that other thing to slip or this subcontractor that didn't play out. What are we going to do next time? And that I love that just stopping and taking a minute instead of scooting right onto the next thing, because there's probably always a lesson to learn. Even if it was, you're on the right track, there's a lesson we can learn from those things. Absolutely. And I had the opportunity with an organization that I worked with. We were acquired by another, I was in the tech community and we were acquired by another tech organization. My role was fortunate enough to be retained by the acquiring organization. And we were, we were the, the first acquisition, but ended up being the largest. And through that process, they retained my position and several others on the management team to handle all other acquisitions going forward. And we definitely applied this. With each acquisition, we took a step back. Okay, how did it go when we brought these employees aboard? do a deep dive analysis over any changes that we could make so that we were prepped for the next acquisition. And we knew what changes needed to be made from how we handle things with the employees, from whatever communication piece that we had. Is there anything from a cultural standpoint, we could have brought them aboard a little bit better or a little bit differently. So I, it's definitely something I use in everything that I do. And on, for the people listening into this, that you're like, one more thing, Ben and Angie are telling me something else to do. This doesn't need to be a six-week process. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Angie, but it sounds like, hey, get together, half an hour, stakeholders in the room, and you just look this over, and then you you take your lessons and you move on. Perfect. Yep. Great assumption of that. You, it doesn't have to be completely drawn out. It just needs to be addressed. Perfect. One of the things we you pointed out earlier that I'm I'm fascinated by is this focus that companies have on winning awards. We all like we all like a trophy. It doesn't matter what what age you are, everybody likes a trophy. And one of the things that you and I kind of chatted about again before we decided to even jump on the show together was part of that is the journey, and part of that is the destination. Talk about the difference between the two, and if there is one more that's more important, talk about why. Well. Journey is definitely the way I handle my approach with when we're looking at how do we become a better workplace, because it is definitely about the journey. It's when I work with an organization, for example, it is about the journey and the process. However, I pull my sleeves up, dig in really deep and try and take a customized approach and learn where they're at now, where does they want to be? And, and most importantly, they're, why do they even want to go on this journey? And there's so many different things an organization can benefit from when they do take this journey. You're talking things from better recruitment and retention initiatives, 
to, to attracting better talent, to getting a better culture, happy customers, because we know if our employees are happy, our customers are going to be happy, right? So it's really important to focus on where your goals are going to take you. And that's what the whole journey process is about. And you mentioned the trophy. And, and I, I do share with people, if you're looking just to put the trophy on the shelf, why don't you take a pause? because this might not be the right time for you to do that. Your employees are gonna see right through if you're saying we're really focused on getting this trophy, this award, because you're gonna be talking out both sides of your mouth when you talk about all the the goals that you're gonna be focusing on improving throughout this journey, so to speak. So I really do share with my clients, if you're chasing a trophy, let's hold off, off on this right now so that we can focus on what things we're going to make better when we go through this. So for me, hands down, journey is the benefit and includes continuous learning, just like we've been talking about that can take it along the way. So no matter what you're working on, whether it's the training program or onboarding or performance management, talent initiatives, it's really important to go through that journey process of planning, assessing, adjusting where you need to, taking a look back, like we've talked about your outcome and asking yourself, do we need to do it better? Do we need to make changes? And in my opinion, that's all just part of that journey process. There's a lot of turns, there's a lot of hills, but at the end of the journey, hopefully you're going to get the outcomes that you're looking for. Someone was listening today and started the conversation with, this is how it's going to work out. And this is the pill that I can take to get that, that results. I hope that you just help them to see the light there because it's not about, it's not just about the end result. It's about the steps you take to get there. I think when I heard you say that, the first thing that popped in my head was the, the big shift that Weight Watchers had a few years ago, right? It's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. It's a change overall in how we do things. Yes, it may lead to some of these outcomes, but overall, it's just about changing your thinking and how we behave and how we approach these decisions. And in, in some of the things you're talking about here, it's prioritize the talent, prioritize the people, prioritize the culture, not just expediency, not just efficiency, not just cutting expenses, but what are we doing that emphasizes and supports the people when those decision points come up? That's what's going to lead you as you're going down this des- this journey towards the destination. That's what's going to lead you there. That's what's going to help you make those make those calls as you go. And I just that's the thing that popped in my head as you're saying that. But there's so many pieces to this. It's not simple. It is very complex. But at the end of the day, it's about changing the way that you believe these things can happen. Exactly. So let's transition just a bit. We've talked in big picture, fluffy stuff, right? Strategic kind of things. Let's we talk big picture. Let's talk nuts and bolts. Let's get our hands dirty a little bit. And to use a phrase used a minute ago, let's talk about some of the actions employers can take, some of the things they can do to actually create a better workplace. Because I'd love for someone listening to this You've got them on board with the idea that this isn't simple. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some time, but let's give them some tools for their tool belt to help create a better workplace. You up for that? Absolutely. One, when I work with an organization, I've implemented this strategy and I call it the ACE strategy. I should probably trademark that at some point, but I call it the ACE strategy. So A meaning alignment, C communication and E empowerment. So alignment, communication and empowerment. So these all just perfectly tie into corporate culture and any step that when we're going through this best workplaces journey, every step ties back to one of these pieces of that strategy, if you will. So from alignment, so companies can become a better workplace when all the actions of what they're doing every single day, every single role within the company support the direction of the organization. 
It's that simple. So whatever decisions they want to make, is this taking us down the right path? Is this connected to what we're trying to do as an organization? I firmly believe in the power of one-on-one meetings with managers and their staff and, and teammates and their staff. And this is a great time to tie in that next piece, the communications piece. So it seems really simple. And I think sometimes we tend to overcomplicate this, but during those meetings, during town halls that you have with your employees, every opportunity that an organization has ties in that communication for the alignment, where we're headed as an organization and what the employees are hearing that they can do to help support that. I'm also a firm believer that the employees can help define what that looks like as well. So if they hear these are our corporate goals, these are our department goals, me as an employee, this is what I can do to support my part, my department. And I know then this is going to support the organization as a whole. So that, that middle line manager too, that's, that is so crucial for that role where when they're hearing from the C-suite and the organization, this is the direction that we're heading. And then being able to help that employee define and align what they do every day to support that direction. And then comes in the last piece, which is empowerment. So then we we think about, we've hired these rock stars, these really talented people to work for our organizations. So it's very important that we empower them to be able to make these, these decisions and support what it is they said they were going to do. So I'm a firm believer in you bring the right talent in. You give them the tools, you give them the resources and let them do what it is that that you've hired them to do. Circles back if they have any questions, if they're concerned that they're headed down the right path, comes back to that communication and also circles back to that alignment in case there's any question if what they're doing aligns with the direction of the organization. So like I said, every step that we make in this, this going through this workplace's journey, everything ties back to alignment, communication and empowerment. When you were talking about the alignment piece, you said every decision comes with this. And I was thinking like, you're either adding or you're taking away. There's not, there are very few neutral things that you can do or decisions you can make from a leadership perspective. You're either adding to that, you're contributing to that, you're talking about it, emphasizing it, or you're saying it's not that important. We're, we're not focusing on it. It's deprioritized, whatever you want to say there. One of the things that that brings me to though, is I'm curious in that model you're talking about, what role do managers or supervisors play in that? Because there's a lot of there are some times where employees don't interact with other anybody else except for that person or someone else on their team. And I'm curious, how do you see managers and supervisors playing into this and how can we enable them with the right tools, the right information so they can be effective? I think that the managers apply in all of them, but where it's heaviest is in the communications piece. And the reason I say that is because if they are getting the direction from their executive team over what the goals are at the company or where they're headed with the next initiative on their big project. They're the conduit between that and where all of the employees need to be hearing from their department. So they're conducting, if you will, what the direction is of what their department's going to be doing to support that project, to support that initiative, to support whatever the customer issue that's having. And so making sure that they've got that guidance for the employees And they know what tools that their employees need, and they're able to communicate that back up, side to side direction, whatever it is they need to do to get the employees the necessity uh, that they need to progress forward. That's where their job is to be the speaker from the managers, uh, from the executive team, I'm sorry, to the managers down to the employees and all the way back up. So they're that connector, if you will, to make sure everybody is hearing the messages that they need to be hearing. If you had to put a, a sort of scale on the empowerment piece, 
we're talking about really giving people the authority, not just the responsibility, but the actual authority to, to do the things that we hired them to do. How much of that is, is telling them, hey, you've got the white space here to be great, right? Angie, we know you're, you bring a lot of skills to the table. We want you to, to use those. We're going to stay out of your way to the degree we can. How much of this, that making that clear and plain to them? And how much of that is putting processes in place or putting other things in place that's, that enable that? So like decentralizing decision-making. So it's not all made by a single person in a single place or pushing that's that decision-making out. How much is it? It might not be that it's all one or all the other. I'm curious about some of those things. Some of those are like more structural and some of those are leaning that communication piece you're talking about and helping people to understand what your vision is for what they can be. Can you talk about that a little bit? For sure. It's definitely a partnership between the employees and the leaders within the organization. So the, the organization bring in the right, the leaders bringing in the right talent, but also you have to make sure that those employees have all the resources, all the education, all the other training that they need in order to be able to achieve whatever outcome it is that they've decided that they're going to achieve. So for example, if a, we'll take a customer service role. That's a, that's a great example. So if you've got your customer service role, they're the front line with dealing with your customers. And it's, it's crucial that they are able to address those customer needs at that time. If not, the customer is going to get frustrated. They're going to go find another organization possibly who could handle whatever it is that they're looking for. So if, if you've got your employees trained and you give them the autonomy, the empowerment to be able to handle a customer issue, it's usually not rocket science. It's not something that can't be fixed. So you want to be able to let the employees know that customer is your number one priority. You take care of whatever it is that you need to take care of. You can come back to us afterwards. Hey, this is what happened with the customer. Did I handle it right? So you give them that opportunity for that communication to role play back. And you can give affirmation if the way they handle the situation with the customer is correct. If not, that's a training opportunity so that you can give them additional resources they need. So whenever that issue comes up with a similar customer, then they can make the right decision going forward and not constantly feel like they need to ask permission to handle an issue or guidance to handle an issue. You're giving them the authority to be able to do whatever it is they need to do to be able to take care of their customers. And so you understand this because this is, you've done this clearly. That was a quick answer on that one. But for someone listening, when you think every time, every time one of your people that are serving some outside buyer or prospect, every time one of them has to stop and say, let me check on that. Let me get an answer for you. That is a friction point. That is a point of frustration for that customer, for that buyer. And if all of your people are doing that because you haven't given them any sort of authority or autonomy to, to make a decision, that creates a lot of issues, a lot of problems. It reminds me the very first business book I ever read, ever read after college was called uh, The Pursuit of Something Better. And it was a story of US Cellular and this big turnaround they had, a big part of that was culture. And I'd like to think that like the early reading of that is what helped to cement that, that love of culture, just like you have Angie, like cement that in how I saw HR playing a role in the business. And what, that was one of the challenges they had, that story that you just shared about their, their people serving on the front lines. They, every time someone had a question, had an issue, they had to go and get an answer and the customers were leaving in droves. And so they said, let's, if it costs less than 500 bucks, you make the call, we'll talk about it later. And we'll recap, right? We'll have one of those after action reviews. It's like we were talking about earlier, <laughs> if it didn't work out right, but sure. giving them that opportunity to make a decision in the moment. And that changed everything because people started seeing themselves, not just as the, okay, I'm the, the person that has to handle these transactions, but I have some measure of ownership in the business. 
and the outcomes that happen around here. And I can help that person that walked in with a frown, walk out with a smile because I can help solve their problem. And it changed everything. That was a big part of their culture, turning from this negative toxic thing into a, a positive one where people felt like they were part of something bigger and more important and more valuable than just whatever their day job, their job title happened to be. And the cost of losing those customers, can you imagine what it does to those organizations when they're thinking, gosh, every time I call this company, those employees never can answer my questions and they always have to get back with me. And that, that trickles down. That costs them time with their end users as well. Just being able to make that connection between giving that employee what they need and then them being able to service the customer, those employees are going to be happier, the customers are going to be happier, and it's just going to do nothing but provide benefits for both. Wonderful. Gosh. So this has been a ton of fun. I've got, as I said, a ton of notes over here. I always say that at the end of every episode, but we pointed out at the beginning, I'm a note taker. So I had to say it today for sure to, to be consistent there. I've got a lot of notes and ideas and things from you, Angie. If someone is listening and is curious about learning more or wants to connect with you and just thinks Angie's, Angie is an awesome person because hint, hint, she is connect <laughs> with you. What's the best way to do that? Absolutely. At LinkedIn's a great way to reach me. We can connect on LinkedIn. Uh, email's a, a great way as well. It's Angie at strivehr.net. Wonderful. We'll make sure to get those in the show notes so people can connect with you, can reach out, can follow up, or just say, hey, I'm, a, I'm an avid note taker too. If you are as well, <laughs> ping Angie, tell her so she doesn't feel like she's all alone in the world because, hey, I'm a digital note taker, not so much on the, the handwriting anymore. But Angie, again, I wasn't kidding. This has been a fun conversation. I've learned a lot. I think the audience probably has some good takeaways as well. I really appreciate you spending some time with us. Thanks, Ben. It's been my pleasure. Wonderful. To everybody else out there, thank you for hanging out with us again for another wonderful episode of HR. Goodness, if we're only human. I am Ben Eubanks, your host, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit onlyhumanshow.com.